This is Big Podcast. Build a Big Podcast, the marketing podcast for podcasters. David Hooper here with an episode that is not about marketing or growing an audience, but it is about podcast production. First, let me tell you what this is. It's KCRW's 24-hour radio race. It happens every year. This was the ninth year. And I'm going to read what I saw that grabbed my attention. And this is what I signed up for. It says, calling all radio and podcast makers. Mark your calendars. Whether you're a pro or a newbie, there is a place for you at KCRW's 24-hour radio race. On Saturday, November 13th, the race will begin. And it's this simple. The task, you make a nonfiction radio story of four minutes or less. On Saturday, November 13th at 10 a.m. Pacific, we will give you a theme to base your audio piece on. You spend the next 24 hours solo or with a team brainstorming, interviewing, recording, producing, and editing your piece. On Sunday, November 14th by 10 a.m. Pacific, that's 24 hours later, you submit it to us. Then hold on tight where our team of pro ears listens and picks our faves. Winners will be heard on KCRW. Also, check out our other great prizes. Here are the requirements. This is what they were looking for. Reflect the theme you were given at 10 a.m. Pacific on November 13th. It needs to be nonfiction and based on real events. It needs to be produced, recorded, and edited within 24 hours of the race. It needs to be four minutes or less. Anything over four minutes will be disqualified. There's no minimum time requirement. So it's 4.01. You're done, man. But if you could get it done in 10 seconds, I thought about that. What could I do? very quickly that would get attention and didn't work out like that. I think I was at 355 at the end. Include the following credits at the end. And this needed to be within the time that you were given. This piece was produced by, then you named your team name as part of KCRW's 24-hour radio race. This must be included in your four minutes total running time. As I mentioned, it had to be received by 10 a.m. Pacific, 10.01 a.m., you're disqualified. Needed to be uploaded and submitted via a SoundCloud link. So I had to get a SoundCloud account, upload it, and just send them a link to SoundCloud. Easy for me. Most podcasters would know how to do that. Being FCC compliant is not a requirement to participate or win, but we would need to edit or bleep anything on air that falls outside of FCC guidelines. Consider how that might affect the flow of your piece should you win on-air broadcast. Side note, that is something that I brought over on my podcast from doing radio, you'll never hear me say an expletive on here or any of the other podcasts that I do. As far as I know, none of the ones that I've produced, everything gets bleeped out and I try not to do it at all. I'm not an expert on this. I'm going to tell you my experience. This is actually the first finished piece like this that I've ever done. And it's something that I wanted to do for a while and I've worked on things a little bit, but never finished anything. So I thought, well, this is going to be fantastic. This is a way for me to jump in I'll get a team together. We've only got 24 hours to do it. There's a hard deadline and there's actually rules that we have to follow. So I'll have everything laid out in front of me. In 24 hours, I'll be done. I'll have something nice for my reel. It didn't quite work out like that. I'll tell you that story here in a minute. I signed up, I don't know, Friday afternoon. Contest starts on Saturday. I wasn't sure that I was going to do it. I've been so busy writing a new book, but you know, it was great on me. I was like, "Eh, I need to do this. I reached out to a friend of mine who's a great engineer. I said, hey man, I got this thing coming up. Didn't hear back from him. So I was on my own as far as that goes. I've got another friend of mine that I wanted to work with. She works at the local NPR affiliate. She's produced some great stuff. 
I've been looking for a chance to work with her and learn from her. When it comes to this stuff, she knew what she was doing and I was going to use her really kind of rest on. (laughs) And she said, man, that sounds great, but I just started this new project. I'm completely exhausted. I really can't commit to the entire weekend because I know how much work this is. So I said, all right. And then she told me, but if you want to give me a call, you get stuck on something, feel free to reach out, call, text, send me a script. Let me hear your rough drafts. I'm happy to help you out on it. At that point, I was really looking at myself. Do you want this? This is all on you. So I said, all right, I'm going to go for it. Paid the money, signed up the next day at 10 a.m. Pacific, which is noon my time. I get this email. This is the theme you've all been waiting for. Good morning, radio racers. The day is here and we are so excited. Keep us posted on your journey via social by using hashtag radio race and tagging at KCRW. Don't forget, there's an award that goes to the team with the most compelling social engagement throughout the race. And now, here is the info you have all been waiting for. The theme, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And Mr. Rogers, right? Bonus element to be announced. You'll receive that at 5 p.m. Pacific, which is seven hours later. Check your email then. Then it tells you again how to submit. Seven hours later, I was well into this. Got this email. Good evening, Radio Racers. We hope you're having a blast. Here's your bonus element if you choose to add it. It's not a must, but you'll get some extra cred. Incorporate a door knocking sound. And that makes sense, right? Won't you be my neighbor? Guess you could go next door, knock on a door, throw a mic in somebody's face. You could do it. (laughs) I'll explain to you what I did. Let me explain why I'm doing this episode first. I'm going to go a little bit deeper with it than I thought I would originally. My original plan was, and this sort of fits into what I'm getting ready to talk about, is that I'm always looking for a story. I'm always thinking about episodes. And I thought about it. And I've got a friend of mine, Rick Roberts. I'll talk about him here in a second, too. He's a stand-up comic. He talked about doing a joke on stage. He said, well, if it doesn't work out, you've got a great story. So I thought to myself, well, okay. I'm going to try this thing. I'm all alone. Didn't hear from my engineer friend, my NPR buddy. I can call her, but look, when that ship sails, she's in the docks waving to me and I'm on that ship alone. So I thought, well, that'll be a pretty interesting story. And if I can't get it done in the 24 hours, whatever, no big deal. Nobody has to know that I joined this. (laughs) During that time, as I mentioned, there's the hashtag radio race and I'm going through it. I was probably, I don't know, six or seven hours in. I thought, I'm going to go to that hashtag radio race. I'm going to see what these other people are doing. And I started connecting with other people. And that was kind of cool because they would show you photos of where they were, the studios they were working on, a lot of people doing their own music. They would talk about the topics that they were doing. A lot of teams. I didn't see anybody doing anything solo until later. There definitely were some solo people. And I'll talk about one of those guys here in a second. And then the nerves kick in like, oh boy, these guys have their professional equipment out there. This is going to be really good. They got their Pro Tools sessions up. <laughs> I'm sitting editing on Audacity. I'm in trouble, man. <laughs> anyway, everybody's very nice. I ended up posting my link. After it was all over, people were asking me questions about what I had done. I'm asking them questions about what they had done. So it was kind of a cool camaraderie. And I'm going to go in deeper with some thoughts on the creative elements of this. I'm going to give a quick disclaimer. I kind of hinted at this. This is not the kind of project that I normally do. And I'm certainly not an expert. There's a million ways up the hill. This is one of them, maybe. 
I mean, I got a piece that was under four minutes, but I do have some things that have helped me out as far as the skill set coming to the table on day one. One is that I've done a ton of interview format podcast and radio episodes. And what I mean by that is hundreds of interview format podcast and radio episodes. I've done a lot of ads where I've had to incorporate music and copy. So I'm used to getting real tight on an ad where they've got like maybe 30 seconds to do something that needs to be conveyed. How are we going to do that with music and visuals and audio? I've done a lot of audiobooks as far as production, even voicing my own audiobooks. I'm pretty comfortable, at least on Audacity. <laughs> I'm recording this episode on Audacity right now. I'm not a guy who's into Pro Tools, though, or into plugins and all sorts of fancy stuff. And when I say fancy stuff, keep in mind that I'm in Nashville and I'm literally down the street from Music Row. I was in the music business for a number of years. There's million dollar studios down the street from me. The boards are hundreds of thousands of dollars, some of them. Microphones, tens of thousands of dollars, some of them. That's what I consider fancy. The equipment that I was using, eh, I don't know, maybe uh, if you don't include the computer, maybe a thousand dollars. I'll get into that in a second. I've also got some other skills that I think helped a lot and we'll also get into that. But keep in mind that this is new to me, as I mentioned. This is not the kind of thing that I normally do and I'm no expert. So take everything that I'm saying with a grain of salt. I'm doing this episode basically because so many people reached out to me and we're having this conversation. I thought it would just be helpful to the community and also helpful to people in my community, the Build a Big Podcast community, the marketing community, people who want to grow their podcast audiences. Because I'm going to talk a lot about story, where I get ideas from stories, how you approach people, how you edit people to make them sound their best. All of that I consider to be marketing. Because if you start with a great story, the podcast will sell itself. At least it will sell itself a lot easier than it would have without a great story. I did Radio Race because I wanted the challenge, but I also needed examples of episodes, or in this case, a segment where I am not the host. Doing hundreds and hundreds of radio and podcast episodes. In one way, it's nice to be known for your hosting skills or your interviewing skills, but the downside of that is people don't understand that there's more to producing a podcast or doing an interview than what they hear. I could have been the host on this segment. I mentioned going to my friend at NPR. I was hoping that she could host it. And with it just being me, that limited it. So I was going to be the host of it, but I found a workaround about that. Anyway, I needed something where I wasn't the host, where people would look at me as a producer so I could get other opportunities that I haven't had previously. I think I mentioned it on this podcast before. I had a big opportunity with a big computer company that's sort of involved in podcasting. You can figure out who they are. And for whatever reason, people think hosting is the holy grail of podcasting or radio. And they were looking for a producer. And I'm there. I was a perfect match for this thing. But she sees all the stuff that I've done as a host. And she says, you know, we've already got a host. We don't need another host. It's like, lady, I'm not trying to be the host. I'm trying to work with my production skills here. And it was unfortunate that, you know, that's one of the things you were, uh, I guess, like typecast, if you will. Oh, we know you as a host, but we've never seen you push the faders or whatever producers do. I found that out this weekend. I'm going to talk more about it. I'm going to go deeper into this once you hear this segment. I'm going to play it for you right now. It's under four minutes long. This is the same tape that I submitted, but it does have two slight changes, which I will explain to you why I made those changes. That's actually part of the story. 
except for those two little changes. And I think I just took two words out, honestly. That's the only change, but I want to be forthright and say that this isn't the exact same edit that I did submit. Almost, not a huge change, just a couple words. And this is called The Walk. Our whole reason to be here is to cultivate a kinder world where everyone has a neighborhood to rely on. We think that's both good for the world and we think it's great for business. Do you know what they think of me on next door? I walked to the front of my porch. I could not get past the steps. I couldn't get off. There was a force field. In my mind, I thought that I wouldn't survive a walk. I would be arrested or killed because someone thought that I was in the wrong place looking for trouble. The fear was such a tangible fear as a black man in a white neighborhood. I could not push past the idea of being a hashtag. I ended up going on a walk with my mother. I had to have my mom walk with me the next day. And when I got home, I wrote a post in response to that walk. The voice of God literally said, post it on next door. And I said, I'm afraid to walk in my neighborhood. The fear of not returning home is crippling. I really didn't even think anything about the post. It was a one and done. I was done. I go to bed. There were at least 150 comments when I woke up the next morning. My neighbors were saying, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're feeling like this. Can I come walk with you? I want to walk with you. I'll walk with you anytime. And I'm slightly annoyed, actually. Well, if you want to walk with us, we'll be here tomorrow. We met at the cafe restaurant. When me and my mom pulled up at this walk, there's 75 people in this parking lot. There's a music teacher who I'd been in a community choir with. There was my English teacher from high school. My first boss was there. And then countless neighbors are standing there. And I'm like, who the heck are y'all? And I panicked. I walked down to the corner. We snap a picture. We turn around. We walk back. Same next door post. Can we do this again? We're sorry we missed it. Can we walk with you? And so we said, we'll do it again same time next week. My story is viral. He was afraid of walking around his own neighborhood, but never imagined what would come next. He said he was afraid to walk alone. It's just incredible. Sean Dramagul says he is eager to bring neighbors together. Sean joins us now from Nashville. Sean, you say that walk was a dream come true. One step at a time. Sean Dramagul is a longtime resident of his Nashville neighborhood known as 12 South. I got emails from around the country. This is my neighborhood. Thank you for saying it. It's my neighborhood, too. It's my neighborhood, too. It's my neighborhood, too. I get a call from People Magazine. I had told People Magazine that everyone could come to my house for the next walk. In the article, my address is actually published. There are literally five, 600 people standing on my street. From one corner down four blocks, you see nothing but people shoulder to shoulder deep. That neighborhood where I was afraid to walk off my front porch embraced me. A year later, they were going to do a campaign based on our walks in Nashville because they had become popular around the country. They had started popping up. So they asked me if I would be the spokesperson for this campaign. Next door is listed under the ticker kind of the New York Stock Exchange. And they invited me. And we got to go to the floor of the Stock Exchange and ring the bell when Nextdoor went on the ticker and stand on the floor. And it was so surreal to me because this story this is about getting to know your neighbors. Like Jim. 
So here's how that happened. 10 a.m. Pacific, I get the brief. It's, won't you be my neighbor? And the first thing I needed to think about was, what am I going to talk about? And I was thinking, well, I don't want to be the host. I could have done it on my own, but I'm looking for something where I'm not the host. So I thought about guest selection. As I mentioned, I've done a lot of interviews over the years. And in general, I think that it helps to know a lot of people when you want to do any kind of interview or you want to have any kind of specific story. I know people who know people and I know people. So I know both. And that put me in a really great position. And it was even better for me in that I'm established locally. And I've also got friends in radio and podcasting. So if I needed to go outside of my area, and I was looking at some options to go outside of the area, I had people that I could connect to via clean feed. I had people that I could connect to down the street. I had people that I could connect to online, offline. I had all sorts of people available to me. In some ways, I think that glosses over how I got to know all those people. So let me tell you exactly why I think that that is. As I mentioned earlier, one of the reasons that I did Radio Race was because I thought it'll make an interesting story. Even if it doesn't work out, it will be an interesting story. And I'm thinking like that all the time. I'm thinking, what will make an interesting story for my newsletter or for my book or for radio, for the podcast that I do? So I've always got my feelers up, not necessarily for somebody to interview, but as something that I could use as an example. Add that to the fact that just in general, I'm very, very curious about people. I'll give you a couple examples. My wife is a photographer. We've got a photography studio in our house. So there are people coming in and out all the time. And I've always been interested in people who do non-traditional work, people like podcasters or photographers or the makeup artists that we have coming over here, jewelry designers, clothing designers, models, whoever's here, if they're in my house, I'm interested in them because most of the time they're doing non-traditional work. And there's always a story that each of them have. I didn't think about this until just now, but this is actually a perfect example of this and that you've got a model that comes to the house and my wife's job is to photograph her and you see one dimension of her. She's a pretty face, good cheekbones, great skin, whatever. You don't really know who she is and everybody is like that. And I think that everybody has a story behind them. And I'll give you an example from one of these models. A model comes in, she's a little bit shorter than average. She's five seven. She told me this story, and this is fascinating. She'd just gotten back from Asia. She goes over to South Korea. She goes over to Japan. And she is considered tall in those markets. So this lady is huge in Asia. Nobody knows who she is here. I mean, she's doing okay. She's working, right? But she's not a supermodel. She's not Victoria's Secret or Revlon. She's just a working model. But she goes over to South Korea. She goes over to Japan. She's considered tall. So when they're pairing her up with the guys over there, She's as tall as they are. Fascinating, right? That's a story. And what is her life like? And how does she do time zones? And what does she do to keep healthy? And, you know, there's so many places that you can go. And I think when you run into people, you can say, oh, you know, she's here because she's hot. <laughs> but it's not that. She's here because she's a hard worker. She's here because she hops on planes and goes back and forth and works really hard. And she's treating it like a business. So consider that with everybody that you meet. You see one part of them, but there's always something deeper, something that enables them to do what they do. What is that? What is it that makes them special, makes them stand out from everybody else that's coming through your life? 
I've got a dog and I walk the dog a lot. I talk to people on the street or just wave. I try to be a friendly guy, right? Try to be an asset to the community. And this is a funny related story because this is actually how I got connected with Sean, the guy that I interviewed on this segment. I walk by his house all the time and he's got this fake dog in the window. Honestly, I thought it was like a dead dog that had been taxidermied or something. And it's looking out. My dog thinks it's a real dog and my dog is whimpering. Every time my dog thinks there's a real dog looking at him out the window. I had heard the story of Sean about a year ago. That's when this whole thing started. He posted this message to next door. Like a lot of people I'm on next door. Boom. The thing blows up that cafe. He mentioned it's a few hundred feet from my house. And I thought to myself, that's a story. I reached out to him. I said, Hey, I work in radio. I do podcasts. I don't do this kind of thing, but I've got friends of mine at NPR and I think they would be really interested in talking to you. Would you be up for talking to them? And he said, yeah, definitely. Trying to get the word out. Great. So I'll reach out to three people at NPR. Pass, pass, pass. Yeah, we'll consider it. Yeah, I'll write it down. They had other projects they were working on, right? Anyway, I've kept in touch with Sean. He always checks in with me. Hey man, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? I said, man, I'm going to make this story happen for you. So when I saw this, won't you be my neighbor? I thought, this is going to be perfect. Send him the text. Hey, man, I've got this opportunity. I need to get this done today. Because tracking the interview, that had to be done that day so I could start editing it. He said, great. I'm off work at two. Can you meet me? So within two hours of getting the brief, and about 90 minutes after that first contact with him, I'm there at his house. I've got my kit. He's telling me his story. And that house, it's the house with the fake dog that's overlooking the street. I said, man, you're never going to believe this. But I actually walk by this house all the time and my dog whimpers every time he comes by. And we had this fun rapport, you know? (laughs) And that kind of trust of knowing that somebody is in the trenches with you or they're an insider, they're from the neighborhood in this case, and you've built that rapport previously through text or through phone when you meet somebody for the first time, that is unbelievably helpful for getting somebody to get right to the big story that you were looking for. Because a lot of times I've found, and this is hundreds of interviews, especially when I'm interviewing what we'll call celebrities, I've got a show called Music Business Radio, the broadcast show. We talk about the music industry. And I'll have these musicians come in and I say musicians, but like rock stars, right? And they're always on guard. They think I'm going to make them look bad or there's a publicist there and they're real people. And there's something real underneath the facade, underneath the clothing and the stage lights and the smoke and mirrors. And I'm trying to get to that, but they got all these people that have maybe made them look bad in the past or they're not trusting or they're tired or they don't know me from the next guy. You want to break down those barriers as quickly as possible. And that's something that I've found has been super helpful to me to have an inside connection or to have something that's completely outside of what you want to talk about. I remember having a guest come in one time. She was into dogs. Like I said, I'm walking my dog all the time. I found out she was into rescue dogs. We started talking about that. Hey, I heard you're into rescue dogs. What kind of dogs do you have? She tells me, oh yeah, I got what I call a Tennessee tricolor. I think he's a German shepherd and a Labrador mix. We talk about that. And then it's in. 
And a couple of days later, my producer, he calls me, he goes, man, you're never going to believe this. She said that was the best interview she's ever done. I said, well, let's credit the dog. Just being human, having a one-on-one human connection, not trying to get something from somebody or use them in a bad way. Just let them tell their story. That's an important part of this too. Anyway, NPR passed this thing up three times. I've been talking to Sean for about a year at this point. I said, here's my opportunity. Are you available? He said, yes. Within 90 minutes of contacting him, I'm on his front porch, the very porch where this whole thing started. I've got my kit, which I'm going to go through in just a second. We're rolling tape. He's telling me everything. So about that story in the focus, as I mentioned, I knew the basic story already. I'm in the neighborhood so much so that I'm even walking past this guy's house all the time without even knowing it. I was on next door when his initial post happened. I saw the television coverage and I've tried to help him out with getting more publicity for it. That part of the story I knew. What I didn't know was what had just happened the previous week, except from a still photograph on Facebook, which is I see this dude at the New York Stock Exchange and they're ringing the bell for next door. I said, oh man, this is crazy. And not only that, we didn't even talk about this. This didn't make that four minute segment that I had. He had photos of himself in Times Square on a billboard. Crazy, right? He's a spokesman for this new campaign. I didn't know anything about that. And that's definitely one of the places that I wanted to go. I thought, isn't it ironic that this whole thing started on next door and here we are a year or so later and the latest thing is on next door. And then we've got that creamy middle in the middle, the nougat of him doing all these walks, furthering the cause, it's become a movement. So I kind of had it laid out in my head before I went over there, but I didn't have all the details. A pretty easy choice for me as far as picking this guy. I actually had a few stories that I talked to Tasha about. Tasha, my friend from NPR, said, I've got these stories that I can go through. And she's used to doing anything from these multi-episode documentaries to these three-minute segments. And she said, no, that's a bigger story. That's a bigger story. This one, like you're telling me, it sounds like you could do that in four minutes. So she helped me out with that. Regarding the format and how I structured everything, I mentioned this earlier that a lot of people think that I'm just a DJ or a host. And because I didn't have a team, so, uh-oh. well, that puts me in the host position once again. That's how I became a host in the first place. But I'd listened to this episode of a podcast called How Sound. That's H-O-W, Southern accent, How Sound by Transom. And I'd heard this, I'll call it a guest only episode where they just let this guy talk and he had music behind him. And they're talking about how it's done, but it's really powerful if you can pull it off. I said, all right, well, I'm going to do it. I don't know how to do it. Here's what I ended up doing. I'm talking to Sean. I took 28 minutes to do the interview, which I thought was pretty fast. It's still a lot to cut to get it down to four minutes. But again, knowing the story, the front, the middle, the end, that's what I needed to get on tape. We go 28 minutes. I call it Tasha, my friend at NPR. She told me a couple of things that were helpful. She said this, one, segment the story into acts, which I had sort of already done without even thinking about it. Guy scared in his own neighborhood, post a letter to the next door, starts doing walks. The community gets behind him. Next door comes around. They want to make an example out of him for everybody else to follow. Those were the acts. So she said, segment the story into acts. That's going to help you get everything organized. That's going to help you with pacing. That's going to help you know where you need to go next. Know when you've got too much of a story. Make sure you can get it all into four minutes. She also said this, she said, narration is sometimes quicker than listening to somebody say the same thing. 
So I could have said something at the very beginning of this, said, Sean was scared to walk in his own neighborhood. So he decided to post a message on next door. Boom. In five or six seconds, gotten right to the meat of it. And that's what I thought I was going to do. Segment everything into acts, which is very helpful. The second thing, the narration, I kept thinking back to that guest only episode of how sound and how powerful that was. And I thought about this tape of Sean that I had gotten. He's got this great deep voice and he's super passionate about it. And obviously I'm passionate about it, but it's a different thing. And that was kind of the irony of the story. Something I haven't mentioned is I actually grew up in the same neighborhood that Sean did. And I came back here. We live in the same neighborhood now. This is a black dude who grew up in a black neighborhood. that's now a white neighborhood. I'm a guy 20 years earlier, white guy, grew up in a black neighborhood that's now a white neighborhood. I was the only white kid in my group of friends. So I've got a similar perspective, but it's different. And certainly how things are affecting him now is completely different from how things are affecting me now. And there's a story there. And that's one of the things I had to say, hmm, wait a minute. I only got four minutes here. I don't want to take away from what he's doing. That's one of the things I had to hold myself back on when I was interviewing him. I'm used to having 54 minutes on the broadcast show that I have to fill, which is a 60-minute show. It's got six minutes of commercials, 54 minutes of content. We've got section one, two, three, four, four sections. And I want people to draw those stories out, bringing that tension out, having people on the edge of their seats so they keep listening, they get engaged. We can play another ad for them. But this is something different. And knowing that I only had those four minutes, I'm thinking, whoa, could I cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it? What do you cut and what do you keep? This is a great opportunity for that. And I've already thought about that. I've thought about it in the speeches that I've given. I've thought about it in the podcast episodes that I do. I think about it in the books that I do. I think about it in everything, but I've never had it be this tight, except in two things. One, advertising, and also some of the songwriting that I've done. We say 3.30 for a song. That's the perfect song. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. <laughs> Three minutes and 30 seconds. The shorter the song, the more likely you are to get radio airplay. Same with this, I suppose. With that said, this is how everything would have gotten really complicated. If I started adding and adding and adding, I thought, what could I take away from it? I'm going to take myself out of it. I'm going to take my voice out of it. I'm going to take my story out of it. This is his story. The other thing I thought about that as well is that this is a very emotional story for him. Like I said, we grew up in the same neighborhood and lived just down the street from each other. What I didn't want to do is get in there and explain for this guy. He can explain it himself. He doesn't need me to explain it. I don't want to be that white guy. And I think sometimes NPR, I think they do this. I think that they'll bring a narrator in and they'll take a guy that they don't think he's that great at radio and they'll try to explain it to the masses. What Sean was really trying to say was he was scared. Was he really trying to say that? I wanted the challenge of letting him say it himself. I'm going to get into the very specific editing here in a second, what I decided to keep and what I decided to leave in. Before I do that, I'm trying to be linear about this. Let me explain to you how I got him on tape, the equipment that I used. The equipment that I've got for this, probably $1,000 worth of stuff. And here's how it breaks down. I've got a Zoom F6 field recorder. And the reason that I have that, it's really overkill for what I need, except for one thing. There's something on there called 32-bit float. That's just the rate that it records at. 
as far as I know, there's just a couple of remote recorders that do that. There's the Mix Pre 3 and the Zoom F6. Pick one. They're somewhat interchangeable. I think the Zoom is better on batteries. I just plug it in most of the time. The reason 32-bit float is important is that you don't have to worry with your levels so much. There's so much data coming in that if your levels are low, you can boost the good signal, the signal that you want, his voice in this case, so much that it's not going to raise the noise floor. You're not going to get a static. Or if he starts clipping because he's too loud or we're in a loud space, you got so much data, the super nerd engineers that figured out how to clean up the audio, and I'll explain that in a second, they can take the good data from his voice, get the whole thing leveled out. It's more or less worry-free recording. I feel that it's the future of recording. That's what a friend of mine said to me when I was thinking about getting this. I said, I'm thinking about trying to get a 32-bit float recorder. Previously, my field recorder was a Zoom H4, which is okay, but you know, you only get one chance to get a recording. And it's especially important for something like this where time is a factor or if you're out of town. The situations that I'm in, sometimes I've got an hour with somebody, these bands, these musicians that I'm talking about, if they're coming through and I have to meet them backstage or at the venue or the catering tent, (laughs) wherever we're doing this thing, sometimes I've just got a few minutes. It's got to work. I want to hit record and have this thing work, be off to it. So that's what I did. The mic that I used is actually the cheapest piece of gear that I've got. It was a Shure SM58. It's a hundred bucks. If you're not familiar with that mic, it's basically the one that's in every single club in America, really worldwide. It's the most popular mic ever because of that. And this is a side note. Make sure if you purchase this, you get it from an authorized dealer, Amazon, Sweetwater, Guitar Center. I purchased a fake SM58. It looked just like the real one. Had I not had the real one next to me, I would have thought, whoa, this is weird. There were just a couple of differences. One of them was the date and the case was different. Everything else, unless you cracked the thing open and had somebody look at it, down to the wires, it looked like the real deal. And it would be very hard for the average person, especially if you had a real one next to you, but maybe even if you did have a real one next to you, to know that it was fake. The issue that you're going to face there is back to that thing about the 32-bit float. You've got one chance to get a recording. You want to get it the best that you can. Spend money on the mic. It's a hundred bucks. You don't save that much money by getting the knockoff, maybe 20 bucks. So SM58 for that. It's a rock solid mic. It's got great noise rejection. That's why I used it. Just to get a little bit technical, Shure actually came up with a cardioid pattern. If you've seen movies like Back to the Future, where there's that rock and roll scene with Michael J. Fox and Chuck Berry, there's feedback, right? They're old school mics and they could never get the volume up loud because there's feedback. It's coming from the speakers into the mic and it feeds back. Anyway, there's a good rejection with the cardioid pattern. Shure invented it. And I knew that if I was going to be on the street, And in my neighborhood, it's a gentrifying area. So if somebody comes in, starts blasting or a truck comes by, whatever. If I was going to do an outdoor interview, which I'm doing more and more of because of COVID, I needed that rejection. The software that I use, it's good, but it's not perfect. With that said, let's talk about software. I use Audacity to record podcasts in my studio. This episode recorded into Audacity, edited on Audacity. In between those things, what I do is I will clean it up in a program called Isotope RX. For the Sean interview, I recorded directly into the Zoom F6 field recorder. It records to an SD card. I took it into RX9, cleaned it up, 
started editing in Audacity. That's when I brought the music in. That's when I had the clips. That clip at the very beginning, she's at the stock market. That's actually the boss of next door that day. And she's in a live interview. Had to clean that up. That goes in RX and that gets cleaned up because that had noise behind it. There's three versions of RX. There's one called Elements, which is about 30 bucks. It's always on sale. Wait for it to be around 30 bucks if you're going to get it. That's going to get a declick, not a mouth declick, just a regular declick. It's made for records, vinyl records. It would take those kind of clicks out, but it also works in your mouth. If you want a specific mouth declick, the next grade up, there's RX Standard. I use RX9 Advanced which just came out and it has something called Dialogue Isolate. That was very important for getting Sean's dialogue, the interview, and cleaning it up. Like I said, I'm on his porch. I've got a good mic. I've got a great recorder. The mic has rejection, but there are cars going by. There's people walking by. There's outside noises. And I wanted to really emphasize his voice. With something like this, because we're talking about the neighborhood and we're talking about him stepping off his porch you could have those background sounds. But my philosophy, and there have been studies that back this up, is that when you sound good and you sound authoritative, people pay more attention to you. When there's less distraction, people are paying more attention to you. When I'm interviewing somebody and I'm putting their message out, I want that message to be heard. I only work on stuff that I really believe in the message. This segment with Sean, no exception. In fact, It's arguably more important than the normal stuff that I do, talking about the music industry, talking about marketing, some of the interview podcasts that I've done. I had a few other things that RX9 did for me. If you're interested, reach out to me, bigpodcast.com. I can send you the batch processing. I've got an EQ. It takes out some of the low rumbles, like maybe if a truck goes by. I talked about the D-click. There's a mouth D-click. There's some different stuff that RX can do. It's certainly worth it if you're doing a lot of interviews, a lot of dialogue work. There's a great community around it. So if you have questions about how people are doing audiobooks or how people are doing podcasts, you can learn a lot about dialogue, how to make it sound great in RX by looking at YouTube videos. That's the first thing that I did is I wanted to clean up the audio. The next thing that I needed to do is I wanted to put the story together. I knew I wanted to take myself completely out of it. So I wanted something that was going to stand alone and made sense from front to back with just his dialogue. I've had lessons in comedy writing, I've done a little bit of stand-up, a little bit of comedy writing. I was working with a guy named Rick Roberts. He's got a great podcast called School of Laughs. And if you're interested in any kind of performing, really it's storytelling. If you think about a stand-up comic, what is he doing? He's telling his story. And I think a good stand-up comic has those elements that make for a good segment like this one. There's tension. There's very limited time that you have to work with. If you're a stand-up comic, you might get three minutes. Nobody wants to watch a guy on stage for 10 minutes if you can't hold your attention. Boo, boo. (laughs) They're throwing tomatoes at you, right? These comics have to get really tight. And one of the things that Rick taught me, and I think this will help you, it's definitely helped me when it comes to podcast editing, speeches, books, everything that I've done. He says, write tight. Go through every single word of the joke and see what you don't need. So what I did with Sean is I edited everything down. Some stuff you know you're not going to need. But I had those segments of him on the porch, the first walk, the second walk, the third walk, and then the next door element. And I said, what do I not need here? What is not absolutely essential? And I mentioned the segment that I played for you, it's not the segment that I turned in. It's the exact same length, 
But one of the things that I did when I woke up the next morning, I'm replaying this thing in my head. I've heard it probably 50 times. There are a couple of words that I didn't need where I could squeeze things together or I could allow the spacing in between his words to breathe a little bit. That was the only difference between the edit that I turned in and the one that you heard. It's just a little bit of spacing. Honestly, I think it would have been more powerful if they could have given me 30 seconds, maybe another minute. (laughs) Throw a little bit more spacing in there than I've got. You got to work with what you've got. But there were a couple things there that they were powerful. And I liked the way that he was saying things, his phrasing, his dictation, the pacing. But I had to let it go because I've only got so much time. Anyway, write tight, go through every word of a joke and see what you don't need. See the minimum number of words in which that joke will work. Same thing with your podcast. The minimum number of words that you can tell that story and have it connect with somebody. Rick taught me a thing called laughs per minute, LPM. He said a good comic, you might have six laughs per minute. Every 10 seconds, there's a laugh. The more laughs per minute that you have, the funnier you are. You get to the point quicker. And you can do that in your podcast. Get to the point quicker. Ooh, he did this. Ooh, he did this. He did what? What's going to happen next? You keep the people who are listening, the people who are watching you on the edge of their seats. And you do that with tension. That's the second thing that I really learned from Rick. Comedy is tension. And I had that with Sean. What's going to happen? The whole thing starts. Do you know what they think about me on next door? Ooh, I don't know. What do they think about you on next door? And he built it up and he built it up. And you've got that music behind it that's emphasizing that. I'll talk about music here in a second but it's adding to that tension. It's almost like a horror movie. You know what's coming next. Dun, 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 dun. Somebody's going to get killed or are they? We don't know what's going to happen, but something is going to happen. Third thing that I learned from comics that I think helped with this is what they call a callback. Ties it all up in a nice bow, sometimes back to the very beginning. And that's what I did in this story. It came around full circle. We start with next door. You hear that stock bell. You think, oh, this lady's just making money hand over fist. You've got that tension. This guy's having a bad next door experience. And then at the end, there's that callback to the stock market. It turns out Sean is there. He's the representative for next door. And they're turning it around. He had a bad experience. Now it's a good experience. Hopefully he's bringing other good experiences to next door and to the different communities that they serve. I mentioned being in the music business for a long time, film and TV licensing, commercials, music publishing, radio promoter, done songwriting, music industry, a lot of hats, right? And the big lesson that I've learned about music is that music adds and emphasizes feeling. Like that horror music that I was just talking about. Dun, 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 dun. What's going to happen next? Jaws, right? Something's about to happen. And that music lets us know that. But it can set the mood in a lot of ways. Imagine being in a funeral. You're thinking about a certain type of music, a church, you're thinking about a certain type of music. Me, I grew up Methodist, old white person's church, got the organ. These younger evangelical churches, maybe they got a praise and worship band. They're playing rock and roll up there. I talked about the neighborhood that Sean and I live in. It's a mixed neighborhood. More black than white earlier on, more white than black now, but there's still a lot of black churches. And on Sunday morning, if you walk by one of those black churches, you're going to hear a loud ass band in there And they are rocking out the gospel call and response stuff. It is amazing. Different types of churches, my Methodist church, the evangelical church, a black church here in the 12th South area of Nashville, three very different types of feelings. Music 
emphasizes that. When you walk in the room, you know what you were getting. How did I find the music that I used? Basically what I did is I've got these services where we've licensed music and we're able to use the music from these services. I looked for something with no dialogue that had that tension. That's definitely an episode in itself, but let me give you a couple of things that may help you as far as the length of the music that you want to use. I have the ability, maybe it's just because of being a musician for so long, I can edit the music to match the length that I need most of the time. And I'm looking for that kind of music, something that's really easy. It's got a simple beat. I can put in four bars or eight bars or 16 bars to make it a little bit longer. I can cut out a few bars if I need to make it a little bit shorter. I look for things with breaks, something I can come in on and get out of. I look for things with buildups and I look for things with strong endings. The other thing that you can do is you've got a song that's too fast or it's too short. Using something like Audacity or using something like RX, you can extend a song. Say I've got a three-minute song and I want to expand it by 10%. I can do that. You can make it so it messes with the pitch, so it's a little bit darker or gloomier. You can make it faster. You can make it slower. There are a lot of things that you can do with music. The music doesn't have to be perfect. Something that I noticed when I looked at the Radio Race hashtag was that there were a lot of people that were doing their own music. And that's fascinating. That adds to the complexity, but you get what you want if you're somewhat skillful and you know what you want enough to be able to perform it, record it, make it for yourself. I'm in Music City, USA. We got people who can do that here. Not my skill set. My skill set coming from film and TV licensing. I'm looking at songs that already exist. What can we use for this ad campaign? What can we use for this documentary? What can we use for this romance scene? And that's what I think about when I hear music. You can go on something like Audio Jungle or Audio or even the YouTube free library. And I'll go on there sometimes when I get a free minute or two, just feel like taking a break. And I'll listen to the tracks that have come in and I'll put them into groups. I'll start something. I'll say, this is a slow song. This is a romantic song. I've got a list of songs that I can use for various situations if I get in a pinch and I need to get something quickly, which certainly happened here with the 24-hour limit. I'm going to wrap this up talking a little bit more about my background. As I mentioned, this was a brand new thing for me. And I feel like I'm sort of talking like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And I know what I'm doing in one sense, but I've never actually done it in this way. The segment I've produced, I've never actually done something like that. I do think though, we all come to the table on day one with stuff that's going to help us do whatever's in front of us. I've got some of those things. So I'm going to go through these things and it might make you think about your background in a different way, whatever you're coming to the table with, because that can be helpful. And maybe it's just that you know the right questions to ask. Maybe it's that you're a good listener. And I think that is super important. When you're putting together something, you're going to hear stuff that other people might miss. You ask questions, you stay out of it. That's another great thing. Being curious, like I talked about, that's great for something like this. So here are some of the things that I think that I brought to the table that helped me complete this successfully. That's all I was trying to do. All I wanted to do was complete it. I've been working on a huge podcasting project, interview style, that has taken forever. And it's gotten longer and longer because of COVID and other kind of licensing stuff. I'm working on a new book. I'm doing a lot of stuff right now and it feels like I haven't completed anything in a long time. So I really like the idea of this 24-hour limit. It's like, yeah, you're either going to complete it or you're not. Then it's done, man. 
You don't have to have this extended deadline out into the future where you tell your buddies, yeah, I'll be done in a couple months. And then three years later, you're still working on something. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for quick action. I know when I was in high school, if I had a crush on a girl, I'd sit there and think about her and watch her in class and dream that she would magically come up to me and say, hey, you know, why don't we go out? <laughs> and, and never actually ask her out or ask her out like months later sometimes. It would have been a whole lot better for me to go up to her. Hey, you want to go out? She says, yes, great. We're in there. If she said no, great. I'm moving on rather than be caught up in the unknown. So I love the concept of using my skills and having this really tight deadline. I've done hundreds of interviews. I think that was super helpful for me in this case. I didn't have to think about how do I do an interview? I knew what I was going to do had the equipment ready, made the call, got connected with him. Like I said, within 90 minutes of making the call to him, I was rolling tape and it was within two hours getting that initial email from KCRW. I also edit my own podcast. This podcast has been edited. I am nowhere near as slick as what you are hearing. And I'll give you an example of that. Right now, as I'm saying this, I'm rolling up on one hour and 13 minutes of tape. So look down at your podcast timer. You're going to see that at least half of this, that's my bet, is gone and maybe more than that. And I'm just getting to something that it took me an additional 45 minutes to get to. I think editing helps. Once I had that raw tape, I was super comfortable putting it in Audacity and chopping it up. Didn't have to learn how to do that. Also, when I'm doing an interview, because I've done so many of them, even before I start editing, I'm editing in my head. I think that these two things helped a lot. I knew which questions to ask. I knew because of the time limit that I had to get him to the point. I knew what's important. I knew what's not. I knew what was going to move the episode forward from the scene on the front porch to the first walk to the second walk to that final scene in the stock exchange. I think the big difference here, that's where what I talked about earlier really helped. That comic background, working with Rick Roberts to do stand-up comedy, working with him to write tight, the editing of my book. I think the big difference between this project and what I normally do was simply timing. I normally have more to work with. But again, that's another thing that I brought to the table. Advertising, quick 30-second ads, a set that's maybe five, seven minutes on stage, a speech that's maybe 20 minutes, a radio show that's 54 minutes. I'm used to editing myself for time just not four minutes. But if you can do 20 minutes, you can do seven. If you can do seven, you can do four. It may not be perfect. You've got to make decisions, but you can do it. That's another thing that I brought to the table that I think helps. The ability to make a decision. I don't need to run everything up against a committee because I'm used to working alone. There is no committee. I have my friend Tasha. She was going to help me. She said, yeah, send the tapes, send the script. I'll help you out. But by the time I got everything together, it's late in the evening. I'm not going to call Tasha up in the middle of the night. (laughs) Had to make the decision, but I had that ability, fortunately. My music background, that helped. Let me dive a little bit more into that because I think this is really going to help you as far as editing your podcast and putting a story together. As I mentioned, I'm in Nashville and the songs we have here, you probably know the country music stuff. We've got pop music, but the country especially, let's think about that genre for a minute. Those are just stories set to music. I was on an old dirt road. I saw a girl in a pretty sundress. I pulled my pickup truck over told her to get in. We drove to Vegas. We went to the bar. We had a good time. We got married. Now she's my girl. You know, there's that. There's the opposite of that. 
I love you. Now you divorced me, took the dog, took the truck. (laughs) We've all heard those songs, right? And that business that I was in, that's all it is. It's storytelling. Storytelling through songs, words and music. And we've got a saying here. We say good songs are written, great songs are rewritten. So I didn't think to myself, oh, I've got to have this right the first time. Didn't think to myself that I couldn't go back in and change it up or that I couldn't make it better by changing it up or there was something wrong with it because it wasn't perfect. You might've heard the book saying, first draft always sucks. Good songs are written, great songs are rewritten. Good podcasts are recorded, great podcasts are edited. The other thing that we say here in Nashville, we say it all begins with a song. And what I mean by that is that's not the recording, that's a writer sitting down and coming up with that song, coming up with that story. Then what they do is they cut a demo, they get it to an artist, the artist records the song that you hear. But it all begins with that song. That song is a story that the artist communicates. And the very best songs, the ones that are the biggest hits, those are the ones that you see yourself in. What I tried to do with this story is to have a guy, he's overwhelmed. He's afraid to leave. He's afraid something bad is going to happen. We've all been there, right? He had to call his mother for assistance. We've been there. We want that older, more experienced person to help us. I wanted that with this project. That's why I called my friend Tasha, called my engineering buddy. They were there to help me, but in my mind, it was really to let me know that it was going to be okay. I wanted them to work with me to help me get through something that I thought was going to be difficult. So I'm no different than Sean. You've got something where you're no different than Sean either. Music is just rhythm and melody. And it's that space between notes that makes the notes that you do play stand out. I've got that same philosophy with words. Pacing is huge. I'm not a master of it by any means. But if you take a statement like his first statement, do you know what they think of me on next door? That pause in between that and what he said next is as powerful as any words that you could put in because it lets that message sink in. Do you know what they think of me on next door? I mentioned my writing background. I've written several books, a couple of them good. One of them about podcasting, by the way. And if you're interested in that, bigpodcast.com slash book has that. If you want to hear me talk more, there's an audiobook version that you can get for free on Audible. It's called Big Podcast. That book is 93,000 words. I wrote about 120,000 words in the first draft. So like its name, Big Podcast, it's a big book. It was a bigger book though, and you've got to find out what's important. That helped me with this segment. It helps me with all the episodes that I do. I've been talking about the hashtag radio race, the Twitter conversations that I've had with people who went through this with me, and also the email conversations, conversations I've had since this event happened. It's been really great to meet other people who are in the trenches with me. I like that there are a lot of guys that are in my situation, radio hosts, They've done a different type of radio, audiobook production, and they're trying to get into a different form of audio, storytelling, this NPR style. I'll give you an example. I met a guy named Srikant. He's from India. He did a story on housing that I thought was very interesting because he took San Francisco and the housing situation there and showed how it compared to the housing situation in India. And I thought that was a cool concept. Anyway, I've been going back and forth with him. He was formerly on FM radio. As he said, he was a shock jock. And this is in India. This is one of his first English productions he told me that he's done. I hope to have him on this podcast to talk more about his experience and have some of the other people who went through Radio Race with me because it really was a good experience. It's just cool to see producers jumping in 
having fun with it because this really should be fun, right? It reminds me of the days of college radio back in the 90s, going into a station, and this is before we had home recording like we do. Podcasting didn't exist. We're recording to carts. If we're going to edit anything, we've got a grease pencil. We're marking up a magnetic tape. We're chopping it up with a razor blade and then splicing the thing back together. It reminded me of that attitude back when radio was really cool. And it's still cool. We just have to look at ourselves and bring that energy every time we show up to record something. He sent me a few questions in our last email exchange. I'm going to answer these here just to wrap this up in a nice bow. But I'm going to have more of these. If you're interested, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. That is the URL to go to. You will see this podcast right there. It's called Build a Big Podcast. It's black and white. Let me give you another way to get this. This is even easier. Dial this number, 615-488-4321. Doesn't matter what time it is, 615-488-4321. Dial that number. Again, doesn't matter what time it is. I'm not going to answer it, but I'm going to hit you up with a text back. It'll take you directly to that bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. You can subscribe with whatever podcast player you're using and get more from me. Not always like this, sometimes maybe, but a lot of times marketing, how to grow an audience, how to connect with people, how to make money with your podcast. If you're interested in that, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. Here are the questions that Shrikant sent me. He said, how many other ideas did you discard and why? I had a few ideas. Like anybody, I didn't know what the brief was going to be, what the topic was, but I'd started thinking, okay, I could do something like this, or I could do something like this. When somebody gives me a challenge, my brain starts going in there. And I knew I had four minutes to work with and say, hmm, who could I interview? What would I want this to be like? I talked to my friend Tasha at NPR before I settled on the episode with Sean. That's the reason that I didn't contact him for 30 minutes until after I had that brief. And I was going through the episodes with her And she said, yeah, you know, I think that's more of a seven minute piece. And I think this one could be multiple episodes. And that's maybe a little bit too complicated for this. And those projects, they will be coming soon. I'm going to do more of these. I had a lot of fun. I'm going to figure out what I did wrong, what I can do better and how I can do it more efficiently and effectively. I would say I had about four people in mind that I could do interviews with. I reached out to two other people. And say, hey, if you're going to be around, I've got an opportunity, but I need to do this today. Let me know. And then I hit Sean. He's the third guy that I went with and just took off with him. Said to the other guys, I'm going to have to get you later. Although I did actually record something that night. It was about a two-hour interview with a woman out of New England that will eventually become something. So I don't know that I discarded it. I just added more to the back burner. But yeah, I'm always thinking of ideas. And like I said, at the very beginning of this very long episode, I meet somebody and I think that could be a good story. Even Srikant, I'm thinking, what's it like to be a shock jock in India? I didn't even know that was a thing. I thought that was a very American thing, you know, but the world is big. And I think it's that five foot seven white girl in Asia who's a famous model over there. It's like, wow, let's show some of these stories and, and show the connectivity of the world and how big the world is. So I'm already thinking, Shrikan, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna get you on here and we're going to talk about your production, but then we're going to talk about your FM radio shock jock experiences. How much tape did you collect for this piece? Was it in a single session or multiple? So the way the tape worked with this, I contacted Sean. Like I said, I was over there within a couple hours 
of getting the brief. I've got 28 minutes of raw tape. And I think that probably includes like sound check, getting levels and things where I just had a mic in front of him and I was like, what did you eat for breakfast? Or what's your first car? Or whatever the questions that people ask when they want somebody just to talk. I talked to him a little bit afterwards because I wasn't worried about time. I thought that once I had that story on tape, I'd go, okay, I can make this happen. I also didn't know how long it was going to take to make anything happen. So I was like, oh yeah, I got time. We got 20 hours left. We're good. (laughs) And a side note on that, I talked about building rapport before you contact somebody and how that helps with the interview. I found it also helps to hang out a little bit afterwards. Don't be rushed. Like you're just a number. Like, oh, I got to get back to the station, get to start editing. It's somebody's story and they're trusting you with that story. So spend a little time with people. It doesn't have to be much, five, 10, 20 minutes or so. And I probably was with Sean, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, because I got to pack up all the gear. You know, it's not a lot. It's just the recorder, had a mic stand, had a pop filter, the mic. It takes a minute. So I'm unpacking, have a chance to talk to him. I'm packing up, have a chance to talk to him. I think in some ways that's as important as the interview itself. I'll say something else, by the way, while I'm thinking about it. It's kind of a tangent, but not really. When I'm doing radio and I've got somebody in the studio with me, a lot of times people get nervous. I call it red light syndrome. Hit that record button. Oh, they were a great speaker a minute ago, but you hit that red button and they start getting nervous. One of the things I'll do for one is let people know that I'm going to make mistakes and then I will purposely make a mistake. I'll flub a line or something, mix up a name. And then I give somebody permission. I say, I made a mistake. So you can see how this works. We just start over again. Don't worry about it. That may be something that you find helpful. Did you have a hard limit on time for each of the different stages? Idea, pre-production, tape, post-production. So what he's talking about is you had 24 hours and did I have a clock basically that was two hours to think of an idea. Then we start taping right away. And then we're done with taping by this time. And then we've got to start editing by that time. I didn't think about that. This was such a simple thing. It was a one mic deal, one voice guy. Basically what I did was try to get the story out of him as quickly as possible, the linear story, the 28 minutes of tape to do that. And then I started piecing it together. I knew I was going to have time or I thought I was, but you know, sometimes you get into this stuff and it lasts a little bit longer than you thought. I probably went to bed at 6 a.m. Partly though, because I'd booked other interviews you know, just trying to make sure I was going to be able to complete this thing. (laughs) So I'm not sure that I actually used my time very well, but I wasn't worried about making something perfect. I just wanted to get something done. And that's the final question, actually. What is something that many people won't notice in this piece, but you're super proud of? I engineered it myself and I've been working on doing that. I've got an engineer that I work with in the studio. She handles things. I do edit my own podcast, engineer them. I've tried to step up my audio a little bit in the last few months. I'll give you an example. I'm in a closet that is five by eight by eight. So five feet wide, eight feet long, eight feet tall. For many years, it was filled with foam. And one of the things that I just did recently in the last two or three months was make these huge sound panels And I can send you plans for these if you're interested. They've got rock wool on the inside. They are huge. And this thing is more or less a room within a room of big acoustic panels. As I progressed in radio and podcasting, 
I've tried to do little things like that to make myself sound better. It's taking it back to what I said about Sean's voice or anybody whose voice that I'm interviewing. I want that voice to stand out. I'm also trying to make my voice stand out. And there are a lot of little bitty things that come with that. There's mouth declick, there's de-reverbing, there's dialogue isolating, there's EQ, and there's some stuff that I didn't really have a grasp on when I got into radio or got into podcasting, or I had other people do that for me. One of the things that's been interesting about the whole COVID situation that we've all been through for the last couple of years or so, I'm doing all remote interviews, or if I'm doing an in-person interview, I'm doing interviews outside so I can keep everybody safe. So I've had to get good at remote engineering, explaining to people that I'm interviewing what they need to do, making them sound good. I've also had to get good at when I go and do these outside interviews, like I said, a truck comes by or backs up, beep, 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 figuring out how to get rid of that or plane flying overhead. So I'm proud of that. I think it's a progression, just like these storytelling podcasts, like the walk with Sean that I just did. I want to get better. I don't expect it to be perfect on the first time. And I can see that because I've got enough stuff on tape with enough distance from when I did it until now that I can see the difference. One of the things that I do is I've got a podcast called The Sausage Factory. It's not made for anybody. I mention it here sometimes on Build a Big Podcast, but I would never mention it anywhere else. I'm not going to promote it. I don't want people to listen to it. It's me reading. It is me improvising. It is me thinking on my feet. And I've got hundreds of these episodes because I do them daily. And if I go back, let's say a year ago, and I listen to that episode that I did a year ago, I'm going to sound better today than I did a year ago. I can see the difference that all that work made for me. Can I see a difference between last week and this week? Not so much. Yesterday and today, probably not. But you can see that difference if you go back far enough. So I'm excited about that. Like I mentioned, that energy of old school radio, when I used to go into the college station, that's where I started. And you just felt like you were part of something. And I feel like I'm part of something now with all the podcasting stuff that we've got going on. I want to be part of it. This is a new way for me to jump in. So thanks to KCRW and Radio Race. It was so much fun. I was glad to do it. I will definitely be doing it again. And hopefully this segment, it's something that's going to be heard and help people. I know this is a contest, there's prizes or whatever. I'm not really worried about that. What I want is I want a message that gets out there that helps people. For a long time, I've been doing interviews with famous people, basically. I'm not sure that that's helpful. It's definitely not as helpful as talking about some of these things like systematic racism or what Shri Khan is doing, talking about housing. That's the kind of stuff that I think really moves the needle for humans and humanity. So I want to do more of that. Not that I'm going to totally ditch music industry, rock stars, that kind of stuff, but it's good to have another tool in my belt. So that's it. Bigpodcast.com is where to find more information about me. As I mentioned, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. Thanks for sticking this out with me. Man, this was a long one, but I'm glad you're here. If you want more information on me, bigpodcast.com. And hopefully I will see you on the next episode of Build a Big Podcast.